today's scripture comes from Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 12, 8. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives with many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and sight in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up with the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners, of, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Thank you for reading. Good morning. Boy, that's a hard shift, isn't it? You go from celebrating backpacks and celebrating what God has done through uh, giving to the CareNet Pregnancy Center to vanity of vanities, all is vanity, life is short, we're all going to die. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty tough way to, to get things going for the morning. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We will have some of the passages up on the screen, uh, but I can't promise that they'll be up there when I'm talking about them, so it's good to have your Bible open. Uh, we're going to be spending our time in chapter 11 and a little bit in chapter 12 this morning. We're in this series called The Good Life. We're going to be bringing it to a close next week. I know some of you are probably happy about that, but before we jump in this morning, <laughs> I see nodding heads. Yes, we are happy about that. Wow, okay. Well, let's pray uh, before we get into the Word then. Father, you are good to us. We see your goodness all around from the shining sun to backpacks given to children to moms who carry their babies on to term. All of that is of your grace, your kindness toward us. And Father, this morning passages like this remind us that life is difficult, but you are still good. 
Fix our perspective this morning, I pray. Help us to respond to life appropriately. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in this series called The Good Life. Uh, This is no uh, surprise to you probably, but much like what has come before, the passage we're looking at this morning uh, is not exactly rainbows and butterflies. You're not going to find it uh, on a coffee mug or or painted on the wall of someone's house. Uh, In fact, as I was thinking this week, I was like, okay, how can I have a good, uh, you know, engaging introduction for how we get ourselves into the text? And I was like, well, I could do this or I could do this or I could do that. And every time I would work through these illustrations or these introductions, I was like, this just seems trivial in the face of the passage that we read today. Like anything to take today's passage and make it light uh, just seems to fall pretty flat. So rather than giving you an engaging introduction, just pretend that I did. We'll all get on the same page. And I'm going to start off with what I think is sort of the meaning or the, the big picture idea of what's going on here in Ecclesiastes 11 through 12. Here it is. Life is utterly beyond our control, full of difficulty, and deceptively short. Are you encouraged yet? But God is good. We cannot make life yield to our plans, nor can we avoid difficulty and dark days, nor can we do anything to extend the number of days that have been allotted to us, but we can spend this life walking with our creator, the one who made the universe, the one who gives us all the simple pleasures and blessings in life. And Solomon walks us through a couple of hard realities in this passage, and we come face to, ha- face to face perhaps with our tendency not to respond in the right way to the things that come up in life. And Solomon is going to give us some guidance along the way. So let's look at these hard realities one at a time and see what Solomon has to say about them. You with me? All right, three of you. Got it. Let's go. He begins by insisting on a truth that, has touched, that he's touched on several times throughout this book. The first truth is this. Life is absolutely or utterly beyond our control. Look at verses two through three and then five through six with me. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. As you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Did you notice any repeated phrases throughout that? Came up a couple of different times. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know if it's going to rain or if it's not going to rain. You don't know if your investments are going to pay off or if you're going to go broke. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And why don't we know? Because life is beyond our control, and we know this. We've watched business ventures, despite the best of plans, go awry. We've watched as loved ones have gotten ill, and we are absolutely helpless to do anything to help them. When the clouds are full of rain, the rain is going to fall. There's nothing we can do to make it happen and nothing we can do to stop it. When a tree falls, it's going to fall where it does. You don't get to tell the tree where to fall. I learned this firsthand last year. My neighbor had a tree in their backyard. And so my house is here and their house is here. And the tree was leaning kind of like this, like away from my house and away from my yard and toward their house. And I would just look at that tree oftentimes and think to myself, boy, that's going to cause a problem for them when it comes down, right? And then one morning at 2 a.m., that tree came down. And guess where it fell? Into my yard. 
the nerve of that tree to fall into my yard? Like, it could have at least asked. I would have given it a much more convenient place. It ripped the power line right out of my house. It was exciting. Not really. From the clouds and from the trees, we learn this lesson. Life is outside of your control. Any semblance or, or thinking of control that you, you might think you have, it's, it's an illusion. And the way we respond to life being out of our control is often the opposite of what Solomon is going to prescribe here. Now, we don't like that things are out of our control. And when we sense that they are, we try our best to sort of take life by the horns and control absolutely every aspect of it that we can. We look for any edge whereby we can manipulate the outcome. And so what happens is analysis paralysis sets in. Anybody heard of that? Struggled with that? I think we have a graphic of it that we can put up here. We get into this cycle where we see the options that are, oh, that's squished. Oh, no. Uh, Anyway, so we get into this cycle where we look at the future and the fact that life is outside of our control and it creates anxiety and worry within us and we become very, very concerned. And so we decide, you know what, I'm going to think about it some more. And so we don't do anything. And we think and we think and we, there we, look at that. What happened there? All right. So then we repeat the cycle. We think about it a little bit more and we come face to face once again with the fact that things are outside of our control. So we decide, you know what, I'm going to think on it some more so that I can hopefully manipulate the outcome. Hopefully make sure that I don't risk with no reward. We become like the farmer that Solomon talks about. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We end up doing nothing. We're like a farmer who needs to plant But when we check the weather, we say, ah, conditions aren't quite right to plant today. I'll do it another day. Or when we need to to reap the harvest, we say, ah, conditions not quite right today. We're going to wait on that. We're going to wait for another day. And in the end, we neither sow nor reap. But Solomon bookends this whole section about life being outside of our control with commands that sort of pull us out of this analysis paralysis cycle. Here's what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, having three kids, I've thrown a lot of bread out onto the water, and I have never once sat there and thought, "Mm, I hope that comes back. That soggy pond water bread sounds delicious. So what is Solomon getting at here? Well, I think what he's saying, he's talking about uh, all of the unknowns and all the risk and the realities that are outside of our control and the fact that we can get a return on our investment. He's not talking about soggy bread. Instead, he's talking about, uh, for this individual, it's a merchant who should send his grain out onto the waters so that he can reap some benefits of the commerce. You've got to invest so that you can get some reward. In verse 2, it might be a follow-up on verse 1, like, hey, send your bread out on the waters but don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Like you've seen the movie Titanic, some ships right down into the water. So, so spread it out, seven or eight different ships. But I think he's doing something more here. I think he's pointing us toward generosity. When you do have some, give a portion out. Don't give in to the false belief that you can hoard up stuff for yourself and so insulate yourself from the risk that is this life that's outside of your control as though maybe you can possibly have enough for a rainy day. Give it away. Why? Well, because you may wake up tomorrow and your bank account is empty and your pantries are 
uh, empty or either full of bugs and mold. All of your food, all of your stores are gone. And the one who has hoarded, what will he have? Nothing. But the one who's been generous, the one who's given a portion to seven or to eight, will be surrounded by people who've been blessed by his or her generosity. They'll be supported by those who they have given themselves out to. This passage may have a hundred different applications for us this morning. I don't know how the Spirit is going to use this word to work in your life. But I do know that the application that I have prayed would, we would take away from this is here. Since life is outside of our control, let's get busy investing in what really matters. Rather than see that life is outside of our control and either try to hoard stuff up or get caught up in analysis paralysis where we just end up not doing anything, let's get busy investing and giving of ourselves for some things that actually matter in this life. I don't think it's a stretch to say that the same analysis paralysis that can stop us from wise investing or from being generous is one of the primary things that keeps us from investing our lives in those around us with the gospel. It's what keeps us from shifting conversations away from those lighter and easier topics like politics, which we're more than happy to talk about, or the Packers, or the weather, and shifting them toward the Son of God who has given his life for you and what he has done for you and the difference that he's made in your life. We think about those that we interact with every day and we think, ah, they don't seem like the type who are very receptive to this kind of thing. Conditions aren't quite right, so I'm going to wait for another day. Or, ah, I'm not, I'm not real sure if there's going to be some return on my investment here. I, I, I'm not sure how they're going to think about me afterwards. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait. I'm just not going to do anything just quite yet. I'm going to maybe read some more books, study up a little bit more on how to share my faith. And the next thing we know, and this happens to us all the time. I remember living in Baton Rouge and thinking this. You get six months down the road, a year down the road, ten years down the road, and you realize you've done nothing. You've invested nothing into anything with eternal significance. We've simply stood on the shore thinking about investing in something with eternal significance. Solomon says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that. You're not knowing how it's going to turn out is reason for you to get busy doing it. Let's trust God with the work that is his. Let's plant the seed Let's trust that God in his perfect timing will send the rain and will send the sunshine when it happens, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring the growth. We trust God with his work. Life is utterly beyond our control, so let's get busy investing in what really matters. The second reality about life that Solomon draws our attention to is that difficulties will come. Life under the sun is ironically full of dark days. Verse 8, so if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. The days of darkness is probably best understood as death and those days where death sort of seems to invade our present moment and bring with it all of its gloom and darkness. And it doesn't take living long on this earth to realize that there will be difficult days. And certainly during those times, it's appropriate to mourn. It's appropriate to be sorrowful. It's appropriate to grieve. But I think what Solomon wants to address here is the impact that the promise or the reality of dark days on the horizon, the impact that that should have on the days that aren't so dark. Like that's where we go wrong, right? It's when we see those days of darkness out on the horizon and they impact today negatively. 
We all know someone or perhaps recognize that tendency within ourselves to look out there and we, we see that bad stuff could be coming or is coming. And what does it do? It robs us of the joy that is available to us right now in the present moment. Now, perhaps this is a, a, a little bit of a, this is, this is certainly one of those trivial illustrations that I thought of, but it was the only way I could think to sort of get this across. You ever been on like a five-day vacation and you wake up on morning number four and the reality of the doom that is to come strikes you, right? Like you realize that work is kind of, Andy, I don't feel that way about work. I'm just saying for these people, they probably haven't known this. Anyway, so you get there and you're like, oh, the doom comes. And what happens? You get this angst. You get this worry. You get this feeling of being rushed, like you got to cram it all in. And do you enjoy day number four of your vacation? No, you ruin it because you're angsty. You miss the joy that's available to you right there in the present moment. That's what Solomon's talking about here. The same can be true if we allow the potential of future misfortune to consume the way that we live our life. It will totally color the way that we live. We'll miss the joy that is right here in front of us. But Solomon takes us and he says, no, no, get your head out of the future and bring it back here into the present. And he's going to ground us right here in the moment. And we might sum up what he says to us like this. Since life is full of dark days, let's pursue joy in a life wholly surrendered to God. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet and it is pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. First half of verse 8 says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Yes, there are dark days coming, but look around you. We literally have a glowing ball in the sky that warms your skin and triggers your brain to produce a hormone that makes you happy. Like that's a pretty amazing thing. Now, some of you, some of you may say, um, well, he's talking here specifically to youth, and I haven't been a youth since 1973. So, uh, Ah, 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 Mr. Preacher. Well, I think we're going to learn in chapter 12 that youth is a relative thing here. Youth doesn't mean just for necessarily those who are young. It means those who are alive right now with the pulse of life in them. You people, us, rejoice. Find joy in every single one of the years that God gives you. The reality of dark days to come should make us all the more receptive to the wonderful things that are around us. Rather than blocking off our ability to see the good that is right around us, it should make us say, you know what? I'm going to live this life for everything that it has. I'm going to take all the joy that God has to give me. I'm going to enjoy all the gifts and all the blessings that he has bestowed upon me. And so Solomon says, walk in the ways of your heart. Do what you like. Do what makes you happy. Do what brings you joy. But this isn't a call to just throw off all restraints and live it up. Notice what he says in verse nine. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. This doesn't mean that God is going to judge you for having fun as though when you get there, he's gonna be like, hey, while you lived under the sun down there, you had a little too many good times, a little too much fun going on, a little too much laughter coming up out of your house. Therefore, uh, you're kind of in trouble with me. It's not what he's getting at. Rather, it's a reminder that as we live this life, we will find our highest joy in living a life that is wholly surrendered to God and for his design and his design for us. 
The sinful fleeting pleasures of this world can never make you happy. They cannot bring you joy. He, he said that now for 10 chapters of the book, so I won't belabor that point. But a life following Jesus will make you happy every single time. It will fill you with joy every single time. Without him, you can walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, and it's going to lead you to utter misery. Everything that you amassed when the dark days finally do come, they're going to mean nothing to you. But a life following Jesus will infuse your every pursuit with God-glorifying joy, such that the promise of dark days to come, or even when dark days are present, you may cry, you may mourn, you may hurt, but hope and joy are yours in Jesus, no matter what, no matter what the dark days look like. Life is full of dark days, so let's pursue joy in a life wholly surrendered to God. And the last reality that Solomon expounds on here is that life is deceptively short. In chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, Solomon insists that we are to live here in the present. Stop worrying so much about what is to come. Don't let the future and the dark days that could happen rob you of your joy in the present moment. In chapter 12, Solomon says, "Ah, but do kind of give some thought to the end. But, but do, do deal with it now while you still have time. Don't forget to think about what's coming. And he zeroes in on the reality of death. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then Solomon launches into this very dark but marvelous uh, portrayal of the end of life. Now, some read this language as pointing to just the end in general. Some read it and say, well, this stands for this and this stands for this. And so uh, it's talking specifically about the process of aging. So the, the keepers of the house trembling become your hands that grow a little more unsteady as you age. The strong men who are bent low is a reference to our shoulders and our legs losing their youthful strength. The grinders cease because they are few is a reference to the loss of teeth. thought that one was kind of funny. Those who look through the window grow dim and so your eyes sight begins to go. The aging, the horrible irony here, the aging rise with the sound of the birds so they're up early. But because of their hearing loss, they can't hear the birds sing anymore. Hair turns white like an almond tree that blossoms. One loses the spring that they used to have in their steps, and so they're like a grasshopper that just kind of drags themselves along now. They no longer have the same kind of appetite for either physical intimacy or food anymore. The text literally says the caperberry fails, which was an aphrodisiac and appetite stimulant. And all of this, the text says, because man is going to his eternal home. All right, amen, let's go. This rosy picture to leave you with today, right? And Solomon just sort of throws that out there. He's just like, hey, uh, enjoy your life while you have it because here's what's coming, deal with it. And he sort of drops the mic and walks off. What are we to do with this? I think there's a, a pretty pointed application for us here. Since life is deceptively short, let's make Jesus our greatest joy now. At the very beginning of the chapter, Solomon invites us to remember the one who is not confined to this life under the sun. He says, remember your creator in your youth. 
This is not just for the young, just like the last one, but for those who are on this side of death. The idea is that while you still have time, while you're still breathing, while your heart is still pumping, while you can still see and feel the sunlight, while you have time, remember your creator. And by remember, I think he means something like what David was getting at in uh, Psalm 137. David's talking about Jerusalem here, and he says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. So by remember, David has infused with this meaning, count Jerusalem as his highest joy. Now applied to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember your creator while you still have time means something like while you live this life under the sun and while you face the fact that life is out of your control, dark days are coming, death is awaiting us and the possibility of a difficult aging process, while you're here now, make sure the creator is your greatest joy. Untether your affections from the things of this world that we have learned through 10 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. They're going to leave us wanting and set those affections squarely on the one who can satisfy us every single time. That is our creator. Not only the one who created us, but the one who then stepped into his creation, who took on the life that exists under the sun and all of its futility so that he might redeem us for himself and give us eternal life with him. And a hope that goes beyond the grave, beyond the cistern shattering. While Solomon did not yet comprehend, obviously, the extent to which the creator would go for us, he certainly knew the hard realities of life. It's beyond our control. It's full of dark days. It's deceptively short. But all the sorrow and all the pain and all the darkness and even death itself have met their match in the person of Jesus Christ. And so while death is not a pleasant topic for us to think about or talk about, it's one that we must face. We must come face to face with our own mortality and the truth that we only have so long under the sun. And that truth must drive us back to the one who made us. Rather than drive us down into the pits of despair, it must remind us that, hey, while you're here, find your joy in the one who made you. The woes of life under the sun are many. There's no solution for him under the sun. But there is a resolution once and for all in the person of Christ who promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. He promised to comfort us when life seems out of control, to be near to us during the the dark days and to give us his eternal life, which when our hands begin to shake and our shoulders lose their strength and we become like the grasshopper who just sort of drags itself along, we can remember that in Christ we have a hope that goes beyond that. Aging, death, they don't have the final say anymore for us. Jesus does. And he'll one day return as king. This life under the sun will be finished We're going to live with him forever, reigning alongside him in a new creation where darkness and death, they will be no more. So while you still have time, remember your creator. Now it's obvious here to remember him assumes one really crucial thing, and that is that you know him. To count Jesus as your greatest joy assumes that you have tasted and seen that he is good. 
that you've entered into life with him that brings grace and future glory even into your current existence. We can't walk away from a passage that talks about life being out of our control, life being full of difficulty, life being impressively or sadly or dramatically short. We can't walk away from a passage like this without asking the question, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know your creator? Have you experienced his grace that has come to us in the person of his son? Have you entrusted to him the sum total of who you are? Have you let go of the world with all of its shiny temptations and clung only to Jesus? And if you have, then life with all of its instability and difficulty and brevity is not to be feared. Even death itself has had its stinger removed the day that Jesus rose up from the grave for us. If you haven't come to know Jesus, I have a question for you. What are you waiting for? Like, as you live this life, what, what, what could possibly be the thing that you're like, ah, the conditions don't look quite right. I'll try to sow my seed another day. The conditions don't look quite right. I'll respond to the gracious call of the Savior on another day. It's no mystery to you that your deepest longings cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. If they could, then Jeff Bezos would be the happiest man on the face of the planet. But he's not. His marriage fell apart. If what ails us, if the cure for that could be found in this life, somebody would have figured it out by now. You would have found it by now. If there was a solution for death that was going to get us beyond the grave, of all the smart people that have lived before, somebody would have figured it out by now. I only know of one that satisfies our deepest longings and that heals the brokenness inside of us and that gives us hope for beyond the grave. And his name is Jesus. And here's what he says to us. If anyone thirsts, if anyone realizes in themselves that there is a desire in your heart that nothing in this world can satisfy, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Life is out of our control. It is full of difficulty. It is deceptively short, but God is good and he bids us to come to him through his son, Jesus. He bids us to let go of the world and to trust him with all that we are and with all that we have. To trust that because of Jesus' sinless life and his death in our place and his resurrection, we do really have a hope that, be, that goes beyond this life under the sun. If you don't know him, receive him today. The scripture promises this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Confess him as Lord today. Trust in his work on the cross for you. Follow Jesus and find out in this life right now under the sun, just how good God is. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word that doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't hold back the reality that life is hard. You don't sugarcoat things. In fact, you bring us face to face with the fact that we're powerless. Life is tough. 
we're all only here for a fleeting moment. But your word is equally clear on the fact that you are good and that you love us and that you've acted to redeem us in your son. Today I pray that if any here do not know you through your son, you would draw them to yourself, that they would lay hold of you by faith, trusting you with all that they are and with all that they have, letting go of the world, letting go of self-righteousness, letting go of any idea that says that they can be right with you through any other means than by what has been accomplished by your son in his death and resurrection. Father, for those of us who are following you, would you remove from us that temptation that still exists to live as though this life under the sun is all that there is? Remind us of your goodness. Help us to make you our greatest joy now. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, today is a Gospel Community Sunday, but before uh, I dismiss you guys, we've got a couple of announcements. Number one, please join us for Gospel Community Nights uh, starting next Sunday night, from uh, starting uh, September 12th at 5.30 p.m. We're going to watch The Chosen together. We're going to uh, have a great time together. We're going to pray, all kinds of good stuff. So uh, please join us for that. Also, Youth Group kicks off on September 15th from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's going to be down in room 112. Is that right? All right, room 112, uh, Wednesday night, September 15th. We're going to have gospel community prayer this morning. We're going to divide up into different rooms. We haven't done that in quite a while, and we're actually going to do it a little bit different. We're all going to be downstairs today, so the stairs are right there. If you'd like to pray with us, go down the stairs, go all the way to the end of the hall, and we'll be in rooms 110, which will be on your left, room 112, which will be right out in front of you, and room 13, which will be on your right when you get down there. Other than that, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday, and I will see you next week. Go in peace.